Greetings, friends. This is Why Whiskey, a history podcast with a whiskey problem. Or is it a whiskey podcast with a history problem? We'll let you decide. Head on up to the bar, grab a stool and a drink, and let's talk. Welcome back. Well, I guess it's not welcome back. It's welcome to the new studio, the new bar of questionable life choices. I'm Ian, your host. This is Why Whiskey, and we are back in a new state. Uh, we are now in Massachusetts. We are in a new studio, which is still in development. So you're going to have to forgive me if it sounds a little weird. We're working on it. We're getting there slowly, piece by piece, because like I got to do work stuff now. Like that's so dumb, so dumb. But anyway, I am so excited to be back on the air again with you guys all tonight. I think we've got a good show lined up for you. We are going to be going a little bit into the life of another musical uh, icon of our of our time, of our nation, of our of our world. Really, like he's globally renowned. He's got a couple different names. Uh, the the one that you probably know him best by is Old Blue Eyes. And yes, my friends, tonight, uh, a member of the Rat Pack, we are talking about the one and only Frank Sinatra. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly. That voice. Oh my goodness, that voice. That voice should do so much to you. That was uh, his song, Come Fly With Me. That's the remastered version off of the uh, 1958 uh, Come Fly With Me remastered album. So you can check that out. It's super cool. It's got a bunch of songs. And that's one of a myriad of songs or movies or other things that you know him for. So we're going to get into the life and uh, the magic that was Frank Sinatra, where it came from, who he came from, some weird little conflict stuff that he was in there. And then we get to see that he was actually a little bit more in depth of a human uh, than I knew, at least. Some of y'all may know this, but, uh, but I don't. So before we get into all that, though, let's talk about some booze, yeah? So in honor of uh, Frank Sinatra, we are going to be sipping on some uh, Jack Daniels Single Barrel. Uh, this is a, I think it's a December 18 barrel, so it's it's a little bit older. Now, uh, like all single barrels, right, this one is 
going to taste probably a little bit different than the one that sits on the shelf right now and the ones that got you know reviewed a while ago. But No Age Statement comes out of the Jack Daniels Distillery in Tennessee. Uh, it does uh, partake in the Lincoln County process, which means it's got to get mellowed over maple charcoal before it goes into the barrel for aging. Mashville is... Uh, thought to be uh, 80% corn, 12% malted barley, 8% rye. Uh, so it has a, a beautiful nose. I, I'm not a huge Jack Daniels fan. I the, the Black Label, the Gentleman, those are great mixers. I don't, I don't care for them neat, but they're single barrels. And uh, actually, there is a, a Frank Sinatra Select if you can get your hands on it for a reasonable price. And I have, I have had that before. Like I did the the Angel Share tour, I think, at the distillery, and we got to taste that along with some other really fantastic uh, versions. I do have the barrel proof, single barrel, Jack Daniels as well, and that is phenomenal. This is really good too at 94. It, it always tastes so clean. It, it just, uh, it's something about Jack Daniels, it is a clean whiskey. And I, I would compare it to like crispness, I guess, almost in taste. Uh, and and compare it to almost to Irish whiskey as far as how clean it tastes. You know, because Scotch has a tendency to taste uh, grassy and dirty, and and if you're drinking Islas, it's campfire, right? And bourbons, bourbons have that that just kind of uh, rough and gruff personality, right? These Jack Daniels to me has always felt just kind of very clean, and and it just drinks clean I, that, I know i've said that word like nine times in 40 seconds and i'm sorry for that but it, that's the only thing that really comes to mind when i when i've tried it and and all of their variances and i think that might be a little bit more power of suggestion because of the the mellowing process it goes through but i like it so uh friends here is to the frank sinatra episode in the new bar of questionable life choices located now in the great state of massachusetts cheers friends Oh, oh, that's good. Oh, that's so good. Super, super sweet. A lot of corn influence, obviously, with 80%, but it's... Uh, mm, that traveled well. Speaking of traveling, before we get to Frank, moving the bar was a no-shit task. And I thought I had the system figured out, uh, how to move the bar, Uh with relative ease and a great case that I had that it was all oh, everything was going to fit beautifully it didn't fit I way underestimated the the amount that I had and the space it was going to take to box and ship and oh my god what a mess <laughs> what a mess but it made it it made it anyway great great stuff Jack Daniels uh, single barrel this particular one came out of Rick L10 uh, it was bottled on the 19th of December, 2018, and its barrel number is 18-9694. Good stuff. Lynchburg, Tennessee. Tennessee whiskey. My, oh, I love it. And Frank had a, a bit of a taste for it himself. Two fingers, uh, a couple of cubes is kind of how he, he preferred his, so... You'd see him sipping out of a rocks glass, and uh, and rightfully so. Uh, cool cat, super cool cat. Let's let's start at the beginning. Let's go uh, to this the beginning of where Frank became Frank. So 
He was born on the 12th of December in 1915 in Hoboken, New Jersey to parents Anthony and Natalie. Now, Anthony, his father, had a couple of different names. He was also known as Martin, and he was also known as Marty. Uh, And then his mother, Natalie, had a stage name, uh, Dolly. So a lot of folks, when they talk about his folks, they either refer to uh, them as, uh, you know, Martin or Marty, and then Dolly, his mother. Both Sicilian immigrants both came over. Dad was a firefighter and claimed to be a boxer, was also a bootlegger which I found to be incredibly interesting. And the bootlegger part of it kind of, we see have a bit of a tie-in to Sinatra's life as, as we kind of move along. Where did the music came, come from, the, the joy of music and, and how he did his thing? Uh, it came from his mother. His mom was an amateur singer, performed at a lot of social events. Uh, and, and similarities, right? There was an instrument to, uh, and when I say similarities, I'm sorry, I, I, let me finish that. Uh, we see some similarities between him and Louis Armstrong, which I, I did a show about him a few episodes ago. And, and and that's about an instrument, a specific instrument, where it was a, a beaten up uh, cornet uh, that, uh, that was purchased by the folks that Louis Armstrong worked for. In Frank Sinatra's case, it was a ukulele that was gifted to him by his uncle. And that's what got him started. He's playing, he's singing, and that's where he goes. Very first musical group he joins is the Hoboken Four. Uh, he starts getting into, we start getting into like the World War II time frame. He's denied service. He tries to go and serve. He tries to go be a part of the war. The Air Force turns him down because he's got a perforated eardrum. So now he is destined to just sit at home during the war and do what? Entertain. He's going to entertain and and during that time is kind of where everything sort of gets started for him to include his very first marriage on the 4th of february 1939 he got married to nancy barbado i hope i'm saying that correctly later become obviously nancy sinatra now his first wife because there was a few of them and we'll talk about them but his first wife was the only wife he had kids with so he had three kids two daughters one son uh nancy uh, Frank, and then the youngest was uh, Christina. So two daughters and, uh, and a young boy. So they were married, like I said, in 39. By the end of October in 51, they uh, decided to go their separate ways. So there's a little bit of the backstory in in Frank's kind of upbringing and where where he came about and uh, his where his musical start came from uh, kind of ties into uh, like they he was playing in a lot of local stuff a lot of local radio uh who was it that got him um it was tommy dorsey yep okay so it was tommy dorsey that that picked him up initially uh like i said before his start with the hoboken four uh came about that's right around the same time he got married and and him and his wife started getting into their into their adventure with kids and all that stuff he also started movies in 1941, the Las Vegas Knights and Ships Ahoy in 41 and 42 collectively. So here is where now he just kind of explodes and just launches onto the scene. Uh, fame starts becoming a thing. His big influences that he he cites quite often are Rudy Valley, who I'm, I'm not super familiar with, but 
the other one I'm, I'm very familiar with, and that's Bing Crosby. And if anybody knows Bing Crosby, uh, when you look at Frank Sinatra perform, a young Frank Sinatra, and then you look at a young Bing Crosby, man, they are two just cool cat crooners and a lot of, of great similarities. So you can see that real strong influence that Bing Crosby had on Frank Sinatra and his style and his voice. And I mean, hell, even their eyes look real similar, like real similar. So a lot of this stuff, you know, with a quick Google search, you can go read and you can go find on your own. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the, the weird stuff. Because there there's some really kind of odd things that maybe we don't quite know about Frank Sinatra and different stances and things that, that you kind of see how he took on things in, in the realm of like politics, uh, maybe some mob ties or something. A uh, bunch, of, bunch of little fun stuff. So when we come back from this quick little interlude, we will go into all of that. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. The theme from New York, New York. Everybody knows that well. Cool thing. They play that at the end of every Yankees game. How cool is that? Oh, it's so wonderful. I love it. I love it. So let's talk about some weird stuff with Frank as we continue to sip our, our wonderful whiskey here. So another similarity to Louis Armstrong. Uh... Mr. Sinatra was married four times. Four times. So, second wife was uh, in uh, November of 51. He married Ava Gardner. They divorced on July 5th of 1957. So they made it six years there. Then, uh, in 66, 1966, he marries Mia Farrow. And they end up divorcing in 68. So only two years with, uh, with lovely Mia Farrow. Although I think she was the one that said they never really quite stopped having a relationship, maybe. Uh, she always referred to him lovingly throughout, even beyond their divorce and all that stuff. So uh, the last one and his fourth wife and his final wife, he marries uh, in July of 76. And her name is Barbara Blakely. Uh, she's a, a wee bit younger. She's 12 years younger than, than Frank. She's a showgirl. She's a model. Uh, and then she is also married to him until his death in the early 90s. So, so kind of weird. He's got four wives. And similarly to, uh, to good old uh, Louis Armstrong, it's the fourth one that takes. So the lucky number four uh, sees him through to the end of his days. He was incredibly politically active. So he, he got real involved in the 50s into politics. He got deep into uh, Kennedy's uh, um, rise to the presidency. And he was a little put off that Kennedy didn't pick him up to be like, you know, an ambassador or anything like that. Like kind of he, he campaigned for him pretty hard, but never really got that what he, he felt like was the official recognition. And all of that had to do with some mob ties. And I really didn't know how deep the mob tie thing was. There's a couple of really great documentaries. You can find them 
uh, on YouTube or whatnot. And I'll, I'll probably link a, a couple of them into the show notes so you can see them on your own. Kind of long, uh, but they really they they make the assertion that that Frank was was pretty deep in the mob and he was pretty well connected. A lot of their pictures kind of seem circumstantial, a little you know, friends of the family, and I get it with the mob. Hey, can I ask you to do a favor? Because they're all friends, right? It's it's all friends and family. But uh, but they go even deeper to, like, the town that he grew, with, grew up in, like, was, or, uh, excuse me, that his parents grew up in, uh, uh, was, like, the birthplace of the whole thing. So so some really interesting factors that kind of play into into that. So whether or not that is true or not, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But I know that it, it had enough influence to where... Uh, he was distanced at that time uh, because of those connections to to be a part of that stuff. According to uh, biography.com, it was actually he ran uh, he campaigned for Franklin uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, and then he worked again like I said with Kennedy, and he it, he was uh, Kennedy was supposed to come visit him, but then that that was where it went sour as he canceled it because. Uh, because of the connection that Frank had to mob boss Sam, oh geez, Giancana, I don't know. So much so that, uh, and that that kind of put a bad taste in his mouth. So now by the seventies, um, he he bails on the Democratic Party and hooks up to the Republican Party hitches his wagon to Richard Nixon obviously that didn't go well and then finds a friend in Ronald Reagan who's a fellow actor because remember you know in in the the mid 40s now Sinatra is not only just singing but he's also in movies and he has a lot of uh, very successful movies on top of albums and all that stuff but he remains politically active uh, incredibly it's actually Reagan who presents him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, in 1985 for uh what does he get it for let me pull up my my fancy show notes here so reagan said that uh they were being honored because he got it uh with a group of people for their humanitarian work uh, and their achievements in diplomacy entertainment government politics learning culture and science so it's kind of a, a blanket award but after at that point in time all of sinatra's uh, awards, which we'll go over here in a little bit, were huge. Uh, he did multiple uh, Academy Awards, Grammy Awards, you, you name it. There was all kinds of awards that that he really kind of shows the the breadth of his involvement in the entertainment industry. Some of the claims, though, going back to the mob connection that were made, were that he was not a victim of the mob as he kind of portrayed himself, but he was actually a participant. And that came out of one of those those biographies. And that was really interesting to me that you kind of assumed that that was there because it, you that that whole lifestyle that leans to, uh, in my mind anyway, to mob connection. You know, you you hear the music, you it puts you into that that kind of frame of mind, and, and it's probably some movie influence uh, psychologically in there that kind of plays into all of that. But it is definitely a connection there and and now to to kind of have it uh quantified or maybe not quantified but at least uh put out on on the you know the front page and and be explained pretty pretty well in depth but anyway 
So there's there's that. Uh, another weird fact: didn't really realize how much uh, of a champion that Sinatra was for civil rights. Uh, he wins the NAACP Lifetime Achievement Award in 1987, and uh, the July 58 edition of Ebony Magazine featured an essay by Sinatra on race. And it says, a friend to me has no race, no class, and belongs to no minority. My friendships are formed out of affection, mutual respect, and a feeling of having something in common. These are eternal values that cannot be classified, end quote. And again, that was for uh, a 1958 edition of June, or correction, July of 58 for Ebony Magazine. And and there's, there's instances of Sinatra throughout his life battling social injustices uh, on on the the terms of race and you know his uh, well one of the rat packs Sammy Davis Jr. right has a couple of run-ins at a couple of the shows to where you know Sinatra says hey look if if he's not cool here we're not cool here we're we're rolling out and and they were even not just uh in in his circle but also outwardly like he would see other performers other people that couldn't eat in the same dining rooms that couldn't uh, enjoy the same things and these were a couple of instances in vegas at these big casinos where he would grab the casino owner and be like hey man fix it or i'm i'm done here like this this changes and uh, you know uh were they lasting systemic changes uh, no but but to have somebody in in the corner of of civil rights and and equality uh, as big as Sinatra, you know, and you remember people kind of accused uh, Louis Armstrong of, of punting uh, the, the civil rights platform. He, he wasn't outspoken. He was kind of quiet and uh, insidious in his how he, how he fought back against uh, inequality and, and those kinds of things. Uh, Sinatra was not insidious at all. Sinatra was loud and in your face, and uh, multiple times he, he made... Uh, huge scenes and and got things to change for the betterment of of that and we we get that picture of of kind of where his mind is um, with this article that he writes for for Ebony magazine and that was something I had never really thought about and never really kind of discussed although my history of Sinatra really kind of came from my my grandpa on my mother's side who Big New Yorker, huge Yankees fan. I remember riding in their car, and and that's that's what we would listen to. We'd listen into a lot of the older music from the the forties and fifties, and uh, and and Sinatra was in heavy rotation, and so I got some of that that education from them. So moving on, and and that's that that kind of initial glimpse into how diverse and intellectual Sinatra really was. In nineteen sixty three, he sits down with Playboy of all of all magazines, right? And he has this interview. And there will be a link to this interview in, in its entirety, the the text from it anyway, in, in the show notes. And you really need to to read it because I, I I would love to cover the whole thing and the whole thing could be a show in and of itself because his views on certain things where I, I find my I'm just going through the entire interview probably three or four times. And, and coming out of it feeling educated. I feel like I came out of a psychology seminar, you know? Um, like, holy shit, man, I, I didn't think of it that way. And it's really, really quite fascinating. He he opens the door into his life uh, and goes into in-depth 
uh, thought and analysis about how he views religion, how he views politics, uh, and, and how he speaks to the interviewer. He is so direct and so very upfront. And I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from you or for you from, from the article itself here in just a second uh, after I get a little bit more whiskey. But again, really, I, I really want to encourage you to click the link in the show notes and read this, this interview that he gives to, to Playboy. It's, it's fascinating. And I think this will give you a little bit more of an appreciation for just exactly who Sinatra was as a human, not just as this, you know, handsome debonair crooner, you know, uh, swanky singer actor person, you know, he, his, his intellect is unbelievable and incredibly deep. So back to the whiskey. I really, man, I always forget how much (laughs) I enjoy whiskeys. Uh, especially ones when I have a big break between them and how much I, I, because I haven't, I haven't touched that bottle in probably two or three months, you know, it's like kind of forget. And then you go back and you open it up again and you have, you're like, Oh shit, this was really great. (laughs) Uh, I, I love that about whiskey. I love that about, uh, and there's, there's some, when I go back to them though, that, uh, they're not great. Matter of fact, I, I don't remember why the hell I said I liked it because, uh, uh, it did not, it did not breathe well, and <laughs> it it went straight to shit. Uh, a, uh, an Irish whiskey, uh, one that I recall oogling over the first time I had it. I went back to it uh, here recently, within the last two weeks or so, and I was so disappointed. It was so sad. Oh my goodness, it was so sad. But anyway, uh, so here we go. We're gonna kind of dig into the. 1963 interview that he gives and the opening part of the interview kind of covers how Sinatra becomes who he is on stage and he says and it's gorgeous uh let's see I'm I'm trying to look for here it says uh, it was in a piece that tore my uh, me apart for my personal behavior but the writer said that uh, this is Sinatra talking uh that when the music began and I started to sing, I was honest. That says it as I feel it. Whatever else has been said about me uh, personally is unimportant. When I sing, I believe I'm honest. If you want to get an audience with you, there's only one way. You have to reach out to them with total honesty and humility. This isn't a grandstand play on my part. I've discovered, and you can see it in other entertainers, when they don't reach out to the audience, nothing happens. Wow. So that that no shit emotion that you hear in his voice when he's singing is legit. It's it that is what it is. And and that quote is is all over the place when it comes to uh, when you read anything about Sinatra. You know, when I sing, I believe I'm honest. And, and him having the ability to say, yeah, look, if you're, not, if you're not transparent, your audience doesn't give a shit. And, man, that's so very true. That's so very true because you see so much, so much fake, so much fake when it comes to, when to folks. And, and you see music acts, I, I find particularly, when you're faking the funk as a music act, <laughs> it's a, you can tell. 
you can tell. And when artists are not having a great day in their performance, you can tell as well. And then when they get like, when they just kind of fall into it and it just is, it is, they're in that zone, uh, it, it is very apparent. So I, I, I applaud him for saying that. Now we get down into you know, the, the, the guy who's doing the interview says, uh, from what you said, it seems that we'll learn something of what it makes you tick as a man in order to understand what motivates you as an entertainer. Would it be all right with you if we attempt to do just that by exploring a few fundamental beliefs which move and shape your life? Question mark, end quote. And Sinatra's response here is perfect. It is like, and, and you can just hear how he just kind of puts this little shithead kid in his place. Um, but with confidence, like to like instill confidence. And Sinatra replies, quote, look, pal, is this going to be an ocean cruise or a quick sail around the harbor? Like you, I think, I feel, I wonder. I know some things. I believe in a thousand things. And I'm curious about a billion more. Be more specific, end quote. <laughs> Don't come at me with that general shit, dude. If we're going to walk down this road, let's walk down this road. But, but be ready, you know, he, he just kind of lays it all out there. And, and right off the get-go, the guy's like, you got it. Here we go. Are you a religious man? Do you believe in God? And then he goes into how he feels about religion, which is, you know, he, he kind of says he, he has the belief, uh, but he doesn't like how, you know, if, if you know, the, the Christian you know, belief was a thing and peace and love. And then why have there been so much war and violence and death on the account of, uh, of God? He said, I believe in a personal God to whom I look for comfort or for, sorry, let me back up. So Sinatra says that if it's natural, like if it's in nature, he believes it's God. But he says here, quote, but I don't believe in a personal God to whom I look for, for comfort or for a natural and the next roll of dice. I'm not unmindful of man's seeming need for faith. I'm for anything that gets you through the night, be it prayer, tranquilizers, or a bottle of Jack Daniels. End quote. And he goes, he goes on to say more. So he, he breaks down why he feels this way about religion and, and the kind of where it comes from. And then they move into kind of this... Uh, they, they, they transition beautifully from religion to peace and, and whether or not we, we should, uh, you know, disarm and do all these things. And Sinatra very clearly states, not nah, disarmament's not the way to go uh, because there, it's just not, it's not a thing. And, and you really get a good glimpse of the political side of Frank Sinatra as he, I mean, the guy sounds like a speaker at the U.N., in this part of the article and I'll let you go into it and see and and there's some things that he says that you can tell we're like eh maybe maybe not but how he just eloquently puts together his philosophy and his thoughts on on all of this and the question that is asked by the, the interviewer says you foresee no possibility of world war or effective disarmament and then Sinatra replies I'm not an industrialist or economist. Jesus Christ. I'm not an industrialist or an econ economist. I know I'm way out of my depth when I attempt to even comprehend the complexity of shifting the production of a country from war to peace. 
But if somehow all those involved in production of implements of destruction were willing to accept reason as well as reasonable profit, I think that a shift in psychology might be possible. Man, those are some big words from the dude who was singing to me to go fly away with him just a moment ago. <laughs> and and a beautiful picture of, of how he is. And and again, this this whole interview is is wonderful and starts going into communism and, and how how he feels about communism in Russia and the conflict. Because if you remember in 63, this big anti-communist thing was happening. And so much so that uh, actually the FBI was trying to connect Martin Luther King to the communists, to the, you know, the, the Communist Party of America or whatever it was. And, and there was some, there was some, uh, some connections that they were there. They were monetary and, and weak, but, but they were still, they were able to find some, some stuff. Uh, and they eventually ended up dissipating. So by, by 68, they were just going after, after him personally. But that, we're digressing from Sinatra. So he ends the interview, the Sinatra does, by answering this question. The interviewer says, Frank, you've expressed some negative views on human nature in the course of this conversation, yet one gets the impression that despite the bigotry, hypocrisy, stupidity, cruelty, and fear you've talked about, you feel there are still some grounds for hope about the destiny of Homo sapiens. Is that right? Sinatra answers, absolutely. I'm never cynical never without optimism about the future. The history of mankind proves that at some point, the people have their innings, and I think we're about to come up to bat now. I think we can make it if we live and let live, and love one another. I mean really love. If you don't know the guy on the other side of the world, love him anyway because he's just like you. He has the same dreams, the same hopes and fears. In one word, pal, we're all neighbors. But didn't somebody once go up onto a mountain long ago and say that same thing to the world? Global connection. Loving your neighbor. Biblical principles. From a guy who doesn't like the Bible. So much, I mean, he, he cites it. And his connection to baseball, I think, was probably one of the coolest ways to say we all have our chance. You know, let me, let me cover that again. He said, The history of mankind proves that at some point the people have their innings, and I think we're about to come up to bat now. How cool is that? It takes little snippets like that to really kind of get a picture of somebody, a true optimist that has hope for the future. In a time that, you know, things were, things were weird. Where is Sinatra today? Holy shit, friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where's the guy today that's coming out and saying, hey, hey, this sucks, but we're about to come up to bat and we're about to hit a couple home runs and we're going to be okay and things are going to do well. We just really need to focus on loving one another. I think maybe there are a lot of people saying that right now, but we're, we're not really in a, a point mentally and emotionally to hear them. But I'm blending the line between wine whiskey and the other show. So <laughs> let me get back on track here. So now uh, we're going to take a little bit of a whiskey break. I'm going to play a little bit more music for you. And then when we come back, we're going to go over what was it? The resume. I don't even know what to call it. Uh, the, the, oh, Jesus, I can't even think of the right word right now. We're going to go over all of his awards, 
all the things that he did, how he did them, what uh, what awards he got and what he got them for and how many times he was nominated. Huge, huge, huge. Uh, I promise you I will not let it be boring. We're going to have some fun with this. But uh, hang tight. Let's, uh, let's take a little more whiskey and let's listen to some music real quick. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back. Some of y'all recognize that song. It's called That's Life. Wonderful song. So let's talk about his awards. What did he What did he do? What was he recognized for throughout the course of his life? Holy shit, there's a lot. <laughs> oh my goodness. So let's let's talk about his awards uh, in in movies, right? Let's uh, the Academy Awards. Starts in 46, uh, gets nominated uh, for an honorary award for the house I live in and he wins. Gets best supporting actor in 54. He's nominated in 55 for Best Actor, but doesn't get it. And then the uh, for the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award, he wins uh, in 1970. 92, he's recognized by the Academy, or excuse me, the American Cinema Awards for Lifetime Achievement. He gets Best Foreign Actor twice. Excuse me, he's nominated twice for Best Foreign Actor. That's in 55 and 56. Golden Globes. He won a bunch of Golden Globes, so he's a for he got a Golden Globe for a film that promoted international understanding for the house I live in, in '46. Best supporting actor, best actor in '54 and '58. He's nominated in '63, but doesn't get it, and then gets the Cecil B. DeMille, which is the Lifetime Achievement Award in 1971. Uh, then we move on to the Laurels. He, uh, he doesn't win a lot of the laurels. He gets uh, three of those for uh, Top Male Musical Performance in 1960. And then 58, he wins for the Top Male Musical Performance for My Pal Joey. So we talked about the Academy Awards, and it breaks down like who won it before. He hosted the, the Academy Awards, the 35th, uh, right after Bob Hope. And then he hosted again with... Bob Hope, Sammy Davis Jr., and Shirley MacLaine for the 47th Oscars. He wins the Academy Award for Best Original Song for The Three Coins in the Fountain from the film of the same name. He wins the Academy Award for Best Original Song from All the Way from the song The Joker is Wild. This is 1957. He wins the Academy Award for Best Original Song in High Hopes from a whole, uh, from the motion picture A Hole in the Head. That song, that I like that one. This High Hopes. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> and then he's nominated for a bunch of stuff. And then we go into his TV awards. Let's move on to the Grammys because we all know him as a musician, right? Uh, so in 59, he wins uh, Only the Lonely for Best Recording Package in 59. He also wins for uh, Record of the Year and Album of the Year with High Hopes and then Come Dance With Me. Again, well, he doesn't win much until the 60s, and then it looks like between uh, 66 and 68, he wins five different awards to include a Lifetime Achievement Award, which we talked about, 
And then in 79, he wins the Grammy Trustees Award. So, But he's he's nominated. His list of nominations is huge. So he gets recognized in grand fashion for, for two decades. Uh, the Enemy Awards, um, he... <laughs> He wins Outstanding Singer, Outstanding American Male Singer, Outstanding Popular Singer in World and wins all of those. I'm not sure what those are. but So now we look at things away from the entertainment industry. Like I, we talked about earlier, he wins the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, he has two different stars on the, the Walk of Fame, in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I think he's got one for music and then he's got one for film. He, uh, he's in the New Jersey Hall of Fame. He's the uh, obviously born in Hoboken. He is one of the most famous New Jersey folks around. He wins the L Award. He wins the NAACP Lifetime uh, Achievement Award. The Society of Singers Lifetime Achievement Award. The Kennedy Center for uh, Performing Arts Medal of Honor, and that's in 1983. He's in the Big Band Hall of Fame. The American Society of Composers Albums, uh, or excuse me, Composers, Authors, and Publishers. Pied Piper Award he wins in Vegas in 79. Now he's in the National Broadcasters Hall of Fame. He's an honorary citizen of Chicago. He won the Screen Actor uh, Screen Actor Guild's Lifetime Achievement Award in 72. He wins the Medal of Honor of the State of Israel in 1972. Now that's another really interesting thing that his connection to Israel and I didn't go deep into it, and I, I wish I had, but that came up in in my my reading a bunch. Uh, and I think it was uh, was it uh, Netanyahu, who's the prime minister of of Israel, came out and said publicly like what a friend that Sinatra was to the state of Israel and and all that stuff. And I, very very interesting that he was he was connected in that manner to them. So. Crazy uh, amount of, of awards and recognition. He just starts as some some humble kid to immigrant parents in Hoboken, New Jersey, and then becomes a world-renowned singer and actor and political activist, uh, social justice warrior, and and just a an incredible human being who had such a fantastic picture of hope for humanity and and had a global concern you know his concern wasn't tiny and small and and a little like he he wanted he wanted the well-being of the globe to be a thing and and that's that's really quite quite wonderful and his music's fantastic and brings joy to many a people who listen to it quite often so i believe my friends that is going to wrap it up for me for today's show uh thanks for coming thanks for listening hopefully i shared something that maybe you didn't know or uh vice versa if uh if if i missed something something absolutely crucial to the story of frank sinatra please shoot me a comment let me know find out something cool and share with me and uh and we'll 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 know better together all right so coming up we've got uh, a bunch of different things happening right now I've got probably three or four different projects in the works. I don't want to really quite share them with you yet because they're just in their infancy stages. But we're going to be looking into uh, uh, looking into some some George Washington history. I'm I'm getting into uh, Alexis Coe's "You Never Forget Your First" biography, and it is challenging some some preconceived notions I had about George Washington. 
so we, we may be going down that road, more of a, of a book review kind of deal uh, and, and going down some of the roads that she is, is paving in her book, which is fascinating. So there's that. There's uh, some, some history of, of uh, civil unrest in our country right now. We're, we're experiencing some of that. And uh, I want to talk about, uh, you know, this, this ain't the first time. Uh, and uh, and kind of go into uh, some of the, the the highlights and lowlights of of riots in America, and see what other times in our country experience and all that stuff. So there's a couple of those, and and then there's there's a whole bunch more in there. But I'm I'm, I'm going to leave those and let those be a surprise for upcoming episodes. Thank you so much, my friends, for coming to listening. I hope you have a great evening. From the bar of questionable life choices, I'm Ian. This is Why Whiskey. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, if you have any comments, questions, or would like to join me at the Bar of Questionable Life Choices for an episode, hit me up on the email at whiwhiskeyhistory at gmail.com. Cheers. <laughs>